Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. And today we are diving into the crazy wild world of 5G myths and the reasons why so many people seem to be afraid of it. And we'll also be talking about HBO Max, the new streaming service from HBO, which is not quite new and is very is confusing yeah. to a lot of people. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to drop us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Sherlyn, take it away. What do we have today? I think now that we're, what is it, like about three months of living with the pandemic in the oh, US? Oh, I've lost we... count. It feels yeah. like 10 years. Yeah. Forever. But, we, you know, I don't know if you guys remember way back when people were spreading all these, I, I guess, conspiracy theories about 5G causing people to die and causing people to feel sick or, or radiation disease coming from mm-hmm. 5g technology it, it led to even like it, the paranoia got pretty bad and i don't want to just label it paranoia i think that there's you know some people who are seriously concerned about it but it, it got so bad that like in some parts of the uk people were burning down 5g <laughs> towers and wow. i mean i haven't seen this for myself but there's apparently anti-5g graffiti in oh, new yeah. york it's in New York. It's uh, I've seen photos of it in Williamsburg and Greenpoint, where I believe you went to test 5G because there were some early towers there, right? So oh, people hell yeah. were tracking those. Yeah. So it got so bad that during the uh, lockdown protests in California late last month, there were some people protesting against 5G. So I have to go because the reason I'm here is for my daughters. And my daughters are really sick and they can't be around all your cell phones because of 5G. And so they're in the car almost dying right now so i want to say thank you for being here let's come back on the first so obviously with all of this attention a very strong emotions too on the part of people about 5g and what was it like people even were tying the rise of 5g or the implementation of 5g to deaths in wuhan and basically saying yeah. that like coronavirus is caused by 5g all these conspiracy theories were basically whirling together right because for yes. the 5g the anti-5g stuff existed before coronavirus yeah. then people were like oh man look china has a lot of 5g where did the rona start china <sighs> oh man clearly they're connected there's some like weird primal logic will, happening right there i will never forget seeing that viral tweet that went out which was 
China lights up 5G, people in Wuhan drop dead. US right. lights up 5G, people in the US drop dead. <laughs> Conveniently forgetting everywhere else and everyone else that, you know, is A, dropping dead from no 5G. Mm. B, already has 5G for, has had 5G for a while and not yeah. dropping dead. To, but, to be clear, okay. yeah, yeah, Sherlyn. I mean, those other countries also had 5G. Doesn't it make you think? Maybe, right? Right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But look, aside from conspiracy theorists, which I believe is a whole other other type of uh, situation there, there are people who do believe that electromagnetic radiation and electromagnetic interference or signals actually cause them physical discomfort. And for these people, it's really actually not productive for us to... Uh, just shout them down or to not believe them. And there's actually been a lot of scientific research around this. So we spoke to Professor Omer Vandenberg, a tenured professor of health psychology at the University of Leuven in Belgium. And he explains to us why people really have this idea that electromagnetic signals can make them feel sick. Hi, Professor Vandenberg. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Fine, and you? You've explained a little bit to us about your work uh, in health psychology, and uh, you know, you all. We also saw your paper briefly about um, this thing called idiopathic environmental intolerance. Can you explain a little bit about that study and, and your findings? Well, there there seems to be a base rate in the population of symptom reporting that cannot be attributed to physical dysfunction. There is a group of people that tends to attribute these symptoms then to environmental causes. Mm -hmm. And these are typically people who have uh, what we call modern health worries. So there are a number of people who attribute symptoms to uh, chemical uh, substances in the environment uh, that most of us can easily tolerate, for example, like uh, perfumes or household products and so on. And this is a group of people that we tend to call multiple chemical sensitivity uh, patients. There is another subgroup that increasingly attributes symptoms to uh, electromagnetic radiation in our environment. And this can be masks from cell phones. Uh, This can be uh, the cell phones themselves. This can be remote controllers, Wi-Fi routers, and so on. So we are increasingly living in what they call electrosmog. And so they attribute the symptoms to electromagnetic radiation. And this is especially recently um, very prominent because of the introduction of 5G. There is another group that is also increasingly concerned about infrasound from windmills and windmill farms. And they Mm -hmm. attribute their symptoms to those sources. So you're saying that, you know, these people maybe feel a certain way, uh, a certain physical discomfort or a certain discomfort. And then when they go in to see a doctor about these symptoms or ailments, there's nothing that registers that's measurable or testable or actually detectable. It should be noted that symptoms are are really there. They are felt. Yeah. Because um, several investigations using brain imaging techniques have shown that people who are reporting symptoms that cannot be related to physical physiological dysfunction actually recruit to some extent similar brain or the same brain areas that um, that are activated 
also when you have um, symptoms from, let's say, from the flu or from from another physical mm. uh, dysfunction. So there is good reason to assume that the experience of the symptom is real. And and I think the bottom line or the major reason for this problem is that our whole society, Western society, seems to assume that if there is a physical symptom in mm. our experience, there must be a physiological cause. I feel phantom <laughs> vibrations all the time. And I know that it's just, it's, there's not a real phone on my thigh. It's just my, my skin for some reason decided to feel like it was vibrating at that moment. Is that sort of similar to the symptoms uh, some of these people are describing here? Do you know what they generally, is there a similarity to what they feel maybe? Many interventions, medic, many medical treatments have a substantial part that can be attributed to placebo mechanisms. Mm -hmm. That is, you, you, you tend to feel better mm. because of processes that are generated in our brain. Now, the opposite also happens. And the experience of the symptom is, is exactly the same as any other symptom. So people cannot mm -hmm. distinguish mm. um, what the source of the symptom is. And so they start, and because they assume and the whole society is assuming that, that there must be a physiological dysfunction. They go and search for it. And then if you have, for example, activist groups or other groups that are actually also sharing a belief that it might be caused by, let's say, electromagnetic radiation, then you become selectively sensitive to that. And you start to perceive correlations between your symptoms and the sources of, of electromagnetic radiation. And I think to be clear here too, I think when we used to talk about this stuff, people would say, oh, it's all in your head. Uh, it's not really happening. It sounds like what you're arguing is that because people are perceiving it as real and it's creating genuine symptoms for them, it's something we should be thinking of. Inter like this is an actual thing that they're experiencing, right? It's not just made up. Yeah, I, I want to emphasize again, that all the symptoms we experience we experience are generated yep. in the brain. Everything. All the <laughs> symptoms. There are yeah. no other ones. It depends on on the symptom and on certain condition how strong the link is between the experience of the symptom as generated in the brain and input from the peripheral <laughs> body. I think it's very important what you say, uh, Professor, that these are experience symptoms these are real to the person real who's symptoms. feeling so, them these are yeah. so you know, the, and... the worst thing you can do is mm -hmm. doubt the reality exactly people feel not believed and what are you doing when you're not feeling believed then you try to convince people and search yeah. for evidence that these are real symptoms the only issue is whether they are really caused by electromagnetic radiation and there is little evidence that it is caused by electromagnetic radiation. And I can list three sources of evidence for it. The first is there is no evidence for the role of physical mechanisms that they are playing a role. And there is also no rationale to understand it really from the physical point of view, from the, from the physics of radiation. Um, but one can say, well, you never know, and, and so on. But there is an, another more important mm -hmm. source of evidence. 
That is, if people are reporting symptoms in response to radiation, you can organize what we call a double-blind placebo-controlled procedure. That means that neither the experimenter nor the patient knows whether there is radiation or not. And when these kind of experiments are done, what shows up is that people cannot discriminate with their symptoms whether there is actual radiation or not. But once they tend to believe that there is radiation, then the symptoms occur. So they are more linked to the belief about the radiation than to the actual radiation. And another source of evidence is when we experimentally induce strong beliefs in people, then a certain percentage of the people starts to experience symptoms. And these are exactly the people that are characterized by individual difference variables that are also making them sensitive to develop um, electromagnetic hypersensitivity. Gotcha. We're, we're talking about electromagnetic interference being perceived as the, the cause here. Is there actually a difference in the you know, amount of interference or EM from uh, things like technologies like 3G versus 4G versus 5G versus something else like just general cell phone use? Uh, I'm not sure if you can speak to that, actually. I don't like to uh, make strong yeah. um, uh, statements about technical issues. But as I said, there, is, there are two important questions, and they are, they are different questions. Is electromagnetic radiation harmful? That's a technical, technical medical research question. It's a very difficult question to answer because it typically takes huge groups, uh, epidemiological studies of large groups of people that are followed, for, followed up for a long period of time. If it would be a strong influence, then we probably would already know. So it's very likely that if there is any harmful effect, that it will be tiny, and it will be accumulating over a long period of time. And the question is whether the people who are now reporting symptoms in response to the radiation are reporting symptoms because of the radiation. And that's mm -hmm. different. So the first question is, is electromagnetic <laughs> radiation harmful? And that's a very general question. And much of the discussion is handling mm -hmm. about that part, mm -hmm. that part. Now that's the wrong part for these patients, because the major question for these patients is, are the symptoms of this patient in this condition now produced by electromagnetic radiation? And that can be answered in a very simple way. You can just, you can just uh, administer this double-blind placebo-controlled mm -hmm. procedure, and then you know. And whenever that has been done, but all the studies that we have so far point in that direction, that it is not the actual radiation that causes the symptoms for these patients, but it is, the, it is any cue that suggests that there might mm -hmm. be radiation mm -hmm. that is causing the symptoms. Does this um, knowledge that what they believe might be the cause isn't actually the cause give any relief to people suffering from such uh, symptoms at all? Does it help the pain go away if there's pain? 
Yes, we are currently developing treatment protocols. And um, also I have to say that there is at this moment no solid body of evidence that these people can be easily mm -hmm. treated. But, and I, now I refer to my clinical experience. Uh, so this is just case-based experience. Whenever you can provide a very convincing alternative explanation why people are reporting symptoms. And whenever you can convince people to expose themselves and rather than hide away from the potential sources of radiation, and you do that under controlled conditions, and this is, let's say, standard exposure therapy, but, ad uh, but adapted to this specific situation, I have to wonder, have you noticed uh, in your studies, is the rise of fears against 5G, is that tied to more people being on social media, more people being instantly connected uh, compared to, you know, fears against previous technologies? And can we expect more, you know, because we're only getting more connected. The stuff is getting only more powerful. Are people going to be more afraid based on that? I think that if I remember well, we had similar boosts of fears when yeah. 3G was introduced. Yeah. And um, even when Wi-Fi was introduced and and so on. And and remote controllers and, and, and photographs. Everything. Like it goes so, back to yeah. And, and yeah. Microwave ovens. Yes. yes. In the Middle East, and in the Middle Ages there were symptoms attributed attributed to the presence mm -hmm. of glass uh, because that was really novel and was not considered uh, safe by all people. So, and people tended to believe that they would become transparent themselves <laughs> and so on. So we have sort of, a, there is this base rate of medically unexplained symptoms in the population. And the attribution for those symptoms changes um, with every new introduction <laughs> of um, technical facilities that stimulates modern health worries. It transforms in new, in new formats. Uh, for example, also windmill infrasound hypersensitivity is also, it's what I would call the new kid on the block uh, because it, it's rather novel. What we also see that, for example, there is a study in Australia the more that there is media coverage stimulating potential or suspicion about potential harmfulness and so on, we see that the prevalence of the of the problem increases. So it is also linked to some extent to, let's say, catastrophic media coverage of some new technical mm -hmm. facilities, for example. So what I would like to emphasize is I, I take these people very serious because they are really suffering. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this suffering is real. You can imagine if you are living in electrosmog and you cannot go out anymore. You cannot meet friends. You cannot go to a restaurant. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. You cannot you can lose your job because of, of the routers in, in in your offices. So I've seen people Whose, whose lives have been destroyed by, by the disease. So I take it really yeah. serious. 
I think that's a very good message. And I think that, um, you know, clearly is something I plan to emphasize when we're also talking about, you know, specifically around the 5G side of things. Um, And I think it's so important for these people to be heard because once they get a bit of relief, they're more likely to feel understood and then that there is hope in sight because right now then if you're living with a symptom for your life that you still can't find a way out of, it's going to be just so daunting and your life is going to feel miserable and that's why people react in such violent ways sometimes dev any thoughts just one thing i want to bring up it does sound like you're asking western medicine to kind of rethink how it's you know it's considering these sorts of symptoms and these sorts of diseases is that kind of your broader point here like you, we should be considering them differently this, <laughs> yes there are people who are consulting regularly and these are sometimes called frequent consultors. And because they are not satisfied with one consultation, they go to another and then they ask for another examination and another test. And these are sometimes called fat folder patients because nobody knows what's going on. And it's frustrating the patients and it's frustrating the doctors. And that's all because we tend to believe that there is a one-to-one link, the experience of a symptom which is always in the brain and the physiological dysfunction, which can be in the body. So, Professor, thank you so much for sharing uh, your findings and your your insight. (laughs) Stay safe. Thanks for joining us and thanks for your time. Thank you for your interest in our work. Uh, Have a good day. So, Sherlyn, does our chat make you feel any differently about people who are afraid of the negative effects of 5G? I think it makes me a lot more sympathetic. I think that, um, and you can probably tell, immediately Mm -hmm. my heart goes out to people who are feeling symptoms of something that they can't find an explanation for. Because sometimes, I mean, sometimes I feel anxiety and my back hurts for some reason. And it's not because of anything other than I feel like really stressed out in the moment, right? Sure, sure, yeah. And I've also talked to people way back when I was like, a teenager in Singapore with people who really uh, felt like their skin was tingling because there was too much electricity output somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the concern and the fear and the sadness and the frustration on, on those people's part is real. Um, so after talking to him, I'm less like immediately reactive to the idea that people are claiming 5G co- makes them feel sick. I think I, I'm less likely to be angry about it and more like, I just want to understand how you feel and then see how yeah, we can get yeah. you treatment. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty sympathetic too, just because we know there is so much about the brain we just don't understand. And yeah. you think of the way uh, meditation and that can affect the way your brain works and, you know, translate to actual physical effects on your body too there's so much we don't know about monks and their ability to resist cold and things like that um i will say though i don't want to conflate the people who are feeling these actual issues (laughs) to a lot of the protesters and a lot of the people who are just out there shouting 5g kills like they're they're two very different things and that's a whole other psychological exploration of why this stuff has whipped up it's obvious why the two groups found each other, right? You got on the one mm-hmm. hand, this one group that's looking for, for a reason at all for their pain and their suffering. And on the other hand, this group that's looking to get people on board with maybe their movement or, or to protest together with them. And they're offering each other something they both want. One on one hand, an explanation. One on the other hand, kind of support. And 
it, it, yeah, it makes sense when you when you're someone who has no answer for why you feel pain and, sure. and a symptom, and someone offers you something that is credible and could be the reason, you're going to you're you're going yeah. to want yeah. to believe them so that you can bring down these things that are causing you. <laughs> Pain. Well, yeah, we are going into pure speculation territory here, yeah, but yeah, I do think sure. there there's always some interesting response to invisible technology. And I think yeah. we're seeing this, right, to not just cellular, but 3G, Wi-Fi. I do remember people talking about that. And the next big wireless thing we're moving towards is wireless power. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine how a lot of people are going to react to that. It's going to be crazy. And I just, yeah. uh, you know, I hope we I... figure out a way through it. It's funny, one of the reports that I saw that was trying to convince people of 5G sickness or, you know, stuff like that was 3G happened, uh, SARS. 4G (laughs) happened, swine flu. 5G, Mm. coronavirus. So, you know, it's like the correlations people can draw is definitely interesting and the human brain is amazing. I do want to point out, though, that like even the WHO had to like issue a statement as of february 27 2020 the who had to say that look as with we don't believe we we can't find evidence that says that there's more harmful radiation here than normal but we are looking into it and you know we take this seriously so regardless of you know how people feel about 5g at the moment this is obviously something we're going to see with with the advent of new technology every time and to be honest i i get afraid of new technology too and so it, it we just have to find a way for people to, you know, learn about the science and understand that, you know, have a more rational and, and calm approach to these things so that we can keep progressing technologically. Okay, moving on from technology that uh, people may think is actually harming them. Let's talk about something that's just really annoying. And <laughs> I'm talking about HBO Max, the <laughs> new streaming service. From HBO, Sherlyn, based on your knowledge, I'm not sure how much you've researched this. Just tell me, you know, what what is HBO Max? Fam, it it sounds like it's supposed to be this new service, like a, a like a library that expanded to become a giant, massive sure. library. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. I don't know. <laughs> Everyone is confused. I don't think I, I think HBO has done such a bad job, and Time Warner in general has oh. done such a bad job of messaging this whole thing. It's, it's all very confusing. So. HBO Max, we have a, a great explainer written by Billy Steele at Engadget. So go check that out for a lot of these uh, nuances, details yeah. and nuances. But basically, HBO Max is the next iteration of HBO Now, which was their first streaming-only service. So the thing you could actually subscribe to through your Apple TV or online mm. before there was HBO Go, which was the streaming service that you could access if you had an HBO account on your cable channel or something. Uh, you couldn't access, like, you couldn't just subscribe to HBO Go. They had to create a whole new service for that. So, so Max, yeah, Max is, like, the next next big thing. And in a way, it seems like it's trying to consolidate both HBO Now and Go. Uh, technically, it's something you can subscribe to, um, you know, on its own. But if you have an HBO uh, subscription on your cable, it, you can also get access to it. Plus, it has a whole bunch of new content. It has Studio uh, Ghibli movies. It has Studio. It has uh, classic movies from the Warner archives. Uh, there's a lot more content. They have Friends. They're the yep. only streaming service that has Friends. So it's all the stuff that's on HBO already. Plus all this new uh, content from Time Warner. It's like their new mega service. But everyone is confused 
about what it actually is. And I think a lot of this is down to Time Warner because it's, um, hey, it's genuinely confusing. Like yesterday when the service launched, uh, I turned on my Apple TV. I went to the HBO Now app and it was automatically uh, updated to be HBO Max. Mm -hmm. So the app itself was updated. I didn't have to do anything different. That was easy. But people I've seen on Twitter who are like AT&T subscribers um, who are supposed to be getting it for free, they can't log in properly. <laughs> and a lot of other people just seem to exist in this weird quantum state where they should have HBO Max, but they can't quite access it. And they're stuck using HBO Now on some of their devices. Oh, by the way, HBO Max does not work on Amazon Fire devices or Roku devices, which are the two other major streaming box platforms right now. This is a weird, confusing mess of a service launch. Um, based it sounds on like what... bad rollout, definitely. I don't want to be known as the guy killing, <laughs> you know, killing off streaming services because I, I tore Quibi a new one. But yeah, I've yeah. been trying to talk to Time Warner, you know, for months. Like, hey, g give me, can I see the app? Can I see some of the shows? And they gave me access to like one one of the dumb rom-com shows. But <laughs> the new content, like the new original content is not that great. There's oh, really boy. not much here. But uh, the good stuff is like the Studio Ghibli stuff where I can just, uh, you know, I, I turned on Totoro yesterday and watched it with my daughter, Sophia. And she loved the, uh, you know, the giant animals and everything. So that part of it is great. It's just such a weird, weird service. Did it's, you get to check it out yet, Trillin? I tried. So I'm in. I'm on HBO Go currently through my cable. Uh, and it's like you said, it's not clear at all what I should be doing to get Max. Uh, I know that there's a version <laughs> of Max that um, my cable will cover. I just don't yes. know exactly how to go about it. I went to the Play Store and looked for Max or Go or whatever. And there's like just multiple versions of the same app. And it's just ridiculous. And to me, it now sounds like with what you're saying about the new content not being all that appealing anyway, it sounds like HBO is kind of banking on the appeal of things like Friends, Sesame mm -hmm. Street, Studio and older Ghibli, movies, yeah, and all the Turner, I guess Turner Classic or just Turner Street Classic, classic. Yeah. Yeah, so like old movies to like draw people in and sorry, but that's not going to do it for me. I, I if if they need me to pay extra out of my cable um plan to to get this, I probably wouldn't. And as it is, I already don't use HBO Go all that much for my regular <laughs> Like, I'm more on Hulu, Netflix, and, sure, and Amazon sure. Prime Video even, which is starting to be better. So, this it seems like a mess. Good luck. HBO Max, more like HBO <laughs> mess. You know what I mean? Like yeah. HBO Max confusion. If I do oh, end up boy. writing about this, it's, it's going to basically be that. But it is a funny thing to see in a time when streaming is so important, important yeah. for everybody. And Disney Plus has been hugely successful as everybody has been in lockdown. Uh, they've added things you know, to the service earlier than people expected. Rise of Skywalker mm -hmm. got there months before it was supposed to. Hamilton is coming there, which is Ooh. you know that stage production was supposed to be in theaters next year. So Disney's banking on this in so many ways. Apple TV Plus, it seems like Apple is trying to buy some older content now too because mm. up until now they've just been relying on their like celebrity Original. driven news shows yeah quibi launched and uh yeah we talked quite a bit about that go check <laughs> out my quibi review if you have not read that yet i definitely felt like uh something channeling you know i was channeling something as i wrote about <laughs> quibi i don't feel as strongly about hbo max but it's certainly confusing and certainly annoying and all these companies you know it's getting to a point where there's so many services. It's hard to keep track of them. I feel like we're going to see some weird uh, consumer backlash 
at some point too like people will just stop subscribing or just stop caring about all these yeah. individual things yeah it's like cable all over again it's something we've written about before but we've kind of come full circle now there are too many choices once again of yeah. things to subscribe to Enough about my streaming rants. Sherlyn, <laughs> what are you working on? I genuinely care. I'm not lying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. So I, as always, I'm still working on that telehealth story that I told you guys about, but um, that's kind of in the background while I bust my nuts, I guess, to wow. bring you guys an embargoed review. Uh, and you should you'll probably see this on the site a few hours after this podcast episode goes live. So chances are you can already see it on the site. You know what? Thank you guys to all the, the ones of you who replied on Twitter um, saying what you like about the show, telling us your favorite episodes. I really, really enjoyed interacting with you guys. Yeah, the Sherlin um, fan club is growing <laughs> strong. But what I was going to say is that like it sounds like a lot of you like when we go deeper dive into our product review experiences. So I definitely plan to talk about this uh, in an upcoming episode. So this device that you I can't still can't talk about right now, but that you will see on the site very soon. So uh, as always, if you have any more um, thoughts on if you're not on Twitter and you would tell us you will, you want to tell us what you like about the show and to see or hear more of from us, please send us an email uh, at podcastandengadget.com. Thank you. And Trillin, good luck with that review. Uh, talk <laughs> about busting your nuts, though. Uh, you didn't have to review four things back to back That's to back. That's true. Okay, that is so true. I took a couple days off recently, but before that, I published my Surface Book 3 review, which uh, sadly is as disappointing as I expected Aww. when we talked about it with uh, Alex Kranz from Gizmodo. It is mm. a fine machine. It's a good-looking machine, but man, it is... Those benchmarks really disappointed me. Really? It was... Yeah, the XPS 13, an ultra portable, Oof. was faster than the Surface Jeez. Book 3. On, wait, on which the, benchmark? On, it, I believe it was Geekbench 5. Oof. Especially Ooh. multi-core. Like, multi-core, um, multi-core is where it really lagged behind. It's exactly what we were expecting. You know, that thing is running a an Ice Lake CPU, but for some reason it was clocking slower than the same Ice Lake CPU on the XPS 13. And other ultra portables. Um, it's so weird because yeah. it's bigger than the XPS 13, so it should be able to like thermally just be better. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's well, no, because oh, but it's on as that. we explain, ah. yeah, the CPU is behind <gasps> the display, so the thermals are actually worse than an ultra portable. This is where Microsoft's designs really kicking them in the butt. Um, the, and, when and I the, did some, yeah, when I did some GPU computation, so when I did like handbrake and use the nvidia gpu to do that uh encoding that worked faster you know that was where the surface book 3 really mm. shined but man for a machine that's so mm. expensive and so heavy like heavier than most other machines although not heavier than the xp uh, than the uh macbook pro 16 inch it just seems like um it's a bad deal for so many people mm. unless you really really love taking out you know a giant the screen and using it as a tablet i just uh, here's my thing i don't think the 15 inch should exist anymore maybe they should do something uh with the with the surface laptop microsoft made their 15 inch model mm. slightly more powerful uh, they threw an amd ryzen chip in there i i would like to see a whole new redesign of the bigger surface book 3 mm. uh, or the bigger surface book Maybe keep the 13 and a half inch model. You can keep the detachable display there. Yep, Some people yep. really like that. That makes but sense. For the, yeah, for the bigger one, give me a display that stays still. Uh, we've seen some Acer devices, like that weird one. Um, 
I believe it was the Predator Triton that I reviewed that had like the hinge where the screen flipped over oh, on boy. like a weird easel thing. Like the like Acer I, easel? You're talking about the Acer also It's has similar one. to the Acer easel. Yeah, yeah, it's a similar easel, but they had a very powerful machine. Mm. I reviewed that last year. Uh, the design isn't so good. And it's very heavy, but clearly there are other ways Microsoft mm-hmm. could give us a flexible display on a big, powerful machine. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Microsoft does with that. So, yeah, sadly, I scored the Surface Book 3 in 80 compared to, I think it was like 89 for the Surface Book 2. Those angry DMs are coming. Yeah, I mean, I faced it. Uh, I will <laughs> say, if you really, really like this design, um, now is a good time to go look for used and older Surface Book 2 models because they're still like decently fast and you could probably get a good deal on it too. So if you're an artist, if you're somebody who can actually use that detachable screen and the Surface Stylus, it may be something worth looking at uh, surface book three not so much i think most people would be better off with like the uh the macbook pro 16 inch which is very powerful similarly priced but so much more powerful like that mm. cpu is is godly it is so good sad to say sad story about the surface book three i'm also working on a review of the zenbook duo which is the smaller dual screen machine coming from asus mm-hmm. uh, i've had that kind of sitting around in my home office for over a month now because I've been dealing with all this Microsoft stuff. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to giving this a spin, um, even though Can't I need wait. a break from reviews. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Let's move on to our picks, all the fun things we'd love to suggest to you guys to relax and, uh, yeah, yeah, take your mind off of tech and everything like that. Sherlyn, what are you up to? I don't know if my recommendation is going to take your mind off of tech, but uh, I watched, you know, continuing my thread of watching Asian films to recommend to you guys, I watched Psychokinesis. I don't know if you've seen that, Dev. <laughs> I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's on Netflix, and it the, the premise was so enthralling. It was like this guy randomly acquires superpowers and goes to save his daughter from a... I, I did see that. And yeah. The key, what did you think? Because... I love it. I love it. I, th- I think it's genuinely good because yeah. um, like a lot of Korean movies and especially Korean genre movies, it's often about like these just losers yep, getting yep, the yep, special yep. powers. And this guy is a loser. He's oh, kind yeah, of a hardcore. thief. He's not a great dad, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not great, but he gets these powers and like it's to me, I like that flip of the genre. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed it. Nobody is talking about this. So I'm glad you saw it. Yeah, so I, 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 I said I was in two minds. I enjoyed what it did with the genre, which is that, yeah, it, it was very much like the original Spider-Man or even very Spider-Man-y where it's this like nobody nerdy guy, weak little <laughs> right. guy getting powers and becoming muscular and then, you know, slingshotting everywhere. Um, and he, you know, the way they explored how he came to know his powers and got to use it, and it was it's comical in a way too, so it's a fun break from, you know, very intense and philosophical stuff. But at the same time, I kind of like just am a little bit sick of, Korean and Asian films in general just doing the whole like hammering home like family is so important like I get it I get it it is you know but sometimes I could just try to enjoy a good like science fiction superhero show without you sometimes telling me much to call to my mom like F family okay yeah. okay Sherlyn <laughs> In this vein, Sherlyn, I'd actually recommend you check out Colossal, which huh. is a, a 2060 movie by one of my favorite genre directors, Nacho Bigalondo. Okay. And Colossal is a movie about a woman who's going through tough times, dealing mm-hmm. with a breakup. She moves back home and she finds herself psychically linked to a Ooh. giant monster that's attacking South Korea. That's amazing. And 
but it's 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 a movie about how those anxieties are linking her it's yeah. it's just interesting like her anxieties as a 20 something you know dealing with her career or a lack of a career yeah and how that's being transformed into a monster on the other side of the world i think it's really interesting that sounds uh, I amazing think it was, yeah there, there's a lot of good stuff jason c dacus is in it it's a great movie and um not just a giant monster movie like it deals with yeah depression it deals with um honestly relationship abuse and things like that wow. like it, it is a movie that goes hardcore and i absolutely love it so be sure to check that out I and you said it's, it's on hulu, hulu. okay yeah cool. i believe so but my real pick this <laughs> week is homecoming season two it's the next iteration of the show based on the gimlet podcast hmm. um the first season i really enjoyed that was directed by sam ismail the guy behind mr robot mm. which is first of all you would love mr robot i'm not sure if i have seen, seen mr robot don't okay even. <laughs> all of it all of it did you finish Just the it? first season Okay, season two, kind of rough, but yeah, it gets exactly. better. But yeah, so the first season of Homecoming, I think, is genuinely great. It's a great conspiracy thriller. The direction is just kind of fantastic. It also co-stars Julia Roberts, who Ooh. I don't think we've ever seen in a TV show before. This season, Julia Roberts is out, and they're kind of continuing that storyline with Janelle Monet, who I love. I love her as an actress. Love I love her as a singer and as mm -hmm. an artist. And she plays a soldier who wakes up on a boat in the middle of a lake and doesn't know who she is, doesn't know her hmm. name, doesn't know what she's doing there. It's all about the amnesia of that experience. And I'm not going to say too much because I think it goes to some interesting places. It's not as exciting or groundbreaking maybe as the first season, but there's some really cool direction, uh, great performances. Hong hmm. Chao is also in the show. Ooh, I like and her. She is amazing. Like she was, um, she's such a great actor. She was great in Watchmen. In Watchmen. Yeah. yeah, and she's been in a couple other things. And she's I love downsizing, she's... which I would like to pretend never happened. Downsizing is not good. And yeah. she, like, she actually just did an interview about that and how yeah, she saw. just doesn't care about she her flack care. about that. Yep. I love her as an actor, and she gets a really great chance to shine, uh, especially alongside Janelle Monae. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'll say about that. It's worth watching, and it's also there. You know. 25 to half hour minute episodes and there's like six or seven of them so you can blow through it really quickly i like the conspiracy thriller i feel like we don't get enough of these and homecoming is doing some really good work exploring this genre so be sure to check it out well that's it for the episode this week everyone thank you as always for listening our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own terence o'brien the podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... At Davindra on Twitter. And I podcast about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. We are going to be reviewing Tom Popo. It was my choice. It's one of the best movies ever made. So go be sure to check out that review and definitely watch Tom Popo. If you don't want to watch Tom Popo, you can feel free to hit me up. I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. And please subscribe on anything that gets podcasts including Spotify. It's just a countdown, Trillin, until you watch Tom Popo and tell me how much you love it. <laughs> really. I'm betting. I would oh, bet money. You I guess would I'll never watch it then. I guess I'm just yeah. never going to watch it. Yeah.